According to the National Center for Drug Abuse, over 165 million Americans ages 12 and up are currently abusing drugs or alcohol. Of those 165 million Americans, there is a mom, dad, sister, brother, wife, husband, son, daughter, or grandparent praying and pleading that they would stop. Addiction is a subject most people don't like to talk about and is kept behind closed doors. But the Finding Hope podcast will bring light to the subject and give families that are living in shame, guilt, hopelessness, fear, worry, and anger, tools and education to find strength, peace, happiness, joy, and hope. Hello, I'm Amy LaRue, Finding Hope Coordinator for Hope is Alive Ministries and your host for this Finding Hope podcast. At Hope is Alive, our mission is to radically change the lives of drug addicts, alcoholics, and those who love them. We do this through our intentional next-level sober living homes and faith-based support groups for the loved ones of addicts called Finding Hope. Thank you for joining us today. On this episode, we will discuss boundaries, why we need them, when to set boundaries, and the different types of boundaries. But first, I want to welcome my special guest. I have two of them on today, Miss Leslie and Mr. Nathan LeClaire. Welcome, guys. Hello. Can you guys just share a little bit with our listeners who you are and um, maybe what brought you to Finding Hope? Okay. Um, Leslie and I have uh, been married 26 years. Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> We have two kids, um, one 24 and 23. Um, we have one grandson uh, who is five. Um, we got married at 19 and 20 years old, had two kids in diapers and formula by 21, 22. Um, we figured we'd be empty nesters around 40, and both kids and grandson are still living with us. So... Oh um, my, that's a fun. We're that's not a empty nesters yet, huh? but um, I work full time as a firefighter, and Leslie works full time as a teacher's assistant in elementary school. Um, we go to church in South Oklahoma City at First Southern Baptist Church, and we have a story to share about our um, first of all addiction history in our family, and then what um, uh, recovery um, that's. Uh, that's helped our family. Absolutely. So Leslie, will you share with our listeners just a little bit about your story and um, when addiction first began to hit your guys' family? Yeah. So, um, you know, I grew up in church, always knew what was right, what was wrong, and kind of used to look at at people that chose that path as like, man, they just need to stop. Mm Mm-hmm. And then I had a few things I had to go through where I'd have some surgeries and some things like that and basically just got hooked on some pain pills. Wow. Um, went, you know, from the doctor shopping to the street and things like that. Nobody really knew. Uh, saw Nathan every day. He didn't know. Were you guys married at the time? Yeah. Yeah. My, okay. I mean, our kids were 12 and 13, I think. I mean, no, I'm sorry. They were eight and nine. They were young. Yeah. So, uh yeah, that was probably three or four years that nobody 
just kind of a silent second life, I think. Yeah. So how did you get out of that cycle? Um, man, just a lot of, a lot of people praying for me. And then, uh, Nathan tried to set, tried to set some boundaries, but at that time, I don't think we really knew what boundaries were or what that meant. Mm -hmm. So, uh, sort of just said, you got to go get some help. Mm -hmm. And so I went to rehab and got some help and came back and just have tried to stay in the education and the recovery and away from you know, certain people, certain things. Yeah, absolutely. So how long were you, would you say you're in that cycle of addiction? I'm going to say probably 10 years total, but really pretty heavy for about three. Okay. And Nathan, you, you didn't know at first that she was in struggling with this? No, I, I guess, I don't know what year of the, of her, um, journey that I found out. I just knew when I did find out it was through a friend um, that kind of made me aware of, hey, I think something's going on with your wife. Um, you might need to start looking at some things. And that's when I started doing a little bit of investigation myself and realized um, how bad it was. And I think by the time I found out it was, it was worse off than I wish I would have found out earlier. We could have got some help early. Um, but it, it hit me like a brick because I was supposed to be the one that she came to. Mm. And, uh, or I was supposed to notice that with uh, being with her every day, and I didn't. Yeah. And so Leslie mentioned a little bit that you had to set some boundaries, even though, like, you guys didn't really know what that might have been like or looked like at the time. So what are some what did you what were some of those boundaries like? Um, some of the boundaries uh, early on uh, in, in, in that stage. We didn't, as far as not knowing what boundaries were, um, now that we know what boundaries are, um, they were more of a uh, safety net for me. Mm. Um, so for instance, um, she, I cut all access to cash to her off. Mm -hmm. If she needed cash or needed something, she had to come through me. Um, that was advice from both of our sets of parents um, at the time. And it felt like I was um, controlling that in a way and maybe I made me feel good because I could control it mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so that was a boundary that um, there was no more spending uh, money which uh, that boundary turned into a mess because then she started getting money um, behind my back and mm -hmm. I didn't realize that that was happening so that boundary kind of flip-flopped um, that was a boundary for us then um, we know how to fix it now um, some more boundaries were um, who she was seeing, what she was doing. Um, uh, one of our boundaries that we set for each other was we can't, we're not allowed to go out with, uh, to lunch or anywhere with the uh, opposite sex. Mm -hmm. um, we had to be with each other. Um, we don't go to clubs anymore. We don't go to bars anymore. Um, we, not that we did it all the time, but if we did, we were, um, we have to be with each other um, then. And obviously now we've cut that totally out of our lives. Um, yeah, even to lunch, like work lunch, if I was at work, if I want to go to lunch with somebody, I could not go with, to lunch with the opposite sex. Um, Leslie had to be with me. Mm -hmm. Um, that was just, uh, some boundaries that we set, um, different friends that she had at the time that I really wasn't acquainted with. Uh, we had to cut those ties, um, to the best of my ability. Um, again, it was at the time I felt like I was controlling the situation and unbeknownst to me, I couldn't control it. Um, she was going to do what she was going to do. 
Absolutely. And so we'll get more into that um, a little bit later in the podcast about what you've actually learned more recently about boundaries. So Leslie, um, you know, you finally got into recovery, went to rehab and you've stayed in recovery. You're doing well, thriving. And then addiction hits your guys' family in a different way. Will you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So addiction then hit our daughter um, when she was probably about 15. Um, We didn't really know that till she was about what 20 20 maybe um and we kind of I kind of knew the signs I kind of knew what I was looking for um so once we figured that out we just we really didn't know what to do like I've been there and I didn't know what to do Mm. so that's really interesting you think when someone's been in an active addiction they would know, oh, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I can do to get her out of it. But it doesn't work that way. It doesn't. And I think I did try that. Mm-hmm. Um, but all that really did was help it keep going. Uh-huh. So uh, and we call that sometimes like feeding the addiction, right? Yes. Where, I was, yeah, mm-hmm. I was enabling yeah. big time. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think I was in a point of I can save her. I can fix this. Mm-hmm. You know, she, she doesn't need, it's not that bad. She doesn't need, you know, major help. And then it kind of turned into really bad to uh, where she finally left our home and left her child with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually was arrested by Homeland Security and, and sent to jail. Yeah. Wow. So. Okay. So she, you're in recovery now. Your daughter's in active addiction. And you already said you're trying to fix it, enabling the situation. And... How is your guys' marriage? How's everything going with the rest of your family in that situation? Uh, our marriage is, was was rough. Um, first of all, through Leslie's addiction, um, trying to fix our marriage and mm-hmm. get our kids on track. Um, and then when we found out about our daughters, we thought we had the tools to figure this out. And it actually was worse because then I went back to con- trying to control the situation with those boundaries. And some of my boundaries were in, in maybe in Leslie's eyes were a little bit more of discipline. Um, maybe there were more boundaries for myself and not my daughter. Uh, but there were some pretty strict boundaries set and, um, I was going to follow them at, at all cost. Um, I think, um, with her going, like she went to jail twice mm-hmm. and the first time she went to jail, uh, she called us at midnight and from jail uh, begging for us to get her out. And we laid there in bed for about two hours. And my thought was, no, we're not getting her out. Leslie was, was talking like, maybe we should get her out. And we finally agreed that maybe this was it. Maybe this was her breaking point. Let's get her out of there. Let's get her in some treatment or let's make her, make her agree to go to treatment. And so we went and bailed her out. And um, we now know that was the worst thing we did. Because uh, we brought her home. As soon as we got her out of jail, it was a blow up. And then she was gone two days later. And then she had to go through all our court stuff and she got arrested again. And that's when we decided we're not doing it again. Mm-hmm. And that was the best decision we made. Why was that the best decision you made? Uh, well, f- from my standpoint, the the best decision we, that our lawyer told us that <clears throat> we could get her out, uh, but didn't want her to know that. Um, and he also told us that if we got her out, that the court proceedings would still keep going and she was facing some, some pretty hefty 
uh, penalties and fines and, and prison time. Um, but he told us, you know, the only way you're going to get her out is to send her to rehab. And we took it as, okay, we can get her out then figure out rehab. And he said, no, that's, that's not how this works. You, the day you get her out is the day she checks into rehab. So we, um, started looking up where we could take her and we knew we needed her out of the state, um, away from, um, her normal life. So we, uh, we checked in to a place in Texas and we got her there the day we got her out of jail, which she didn't know we were coming. She begged us every day. Uh, we told her there's nothing we could do for her, um, that this was her fault. And when we checked her out, she was surprised to see us and she got in the truck and we drove straight to Texas about, uh, six hours away. And we told her goodbye and she was in rehab for 90 days. 90 days um, in the inpatient detox center and then went to a sober living home for the rest of it. And she came home in December of 20 or December 23rd of 21. Yes. And 20. 20. 20. I've been two years. So December 23rd of 20, and she has been clean ever since. That's and amazing. So the rehab helped her, I think. Um, and then shortly after that, we found Finding Hope. And Finding Hope has given us the tools um, to continue doing, making the right decisions. Um, obviously, we still make bad decisions, and we, but we know how to correct it. Yeah. So I, one thing I noticed when you were talking is that first phone call, dad was no. Mom was, uh, and, you, you know, I think that happens so much in, in a marriage with a loved one. Like there's one no, no, no. And then, oh, well, maybe this time. And so like how important it is. I love that you guys have come together as a couple and are going to finding hope together and just to, so you guys can be on the same page because what I've learned in the rooms of finding hope and from those that are in recovery now is they'll use use you two to go against each other, right? Absolutely. They will. And, you know, when they see that you guys are coming together as a couple, staying strong in your marriage and that you guys are going to stop enabling together and set those boundaries together and you guys are seeking recovery, going to these meetings, just how powerful that is. And so um, I asked you guys to be on the podcast for a couple of reasons. First, you guys are doing an amazing job at leading Finding Hope, and your pastor was very passionate about wanting to start one. Your parents help you lead this group um, in Oklahoma City, and just the impact I have seen personally when I visited, um, just the members to feel welcomed and loved um, and just feel safe in that room. And you can feel that when you walk in so many times, people are scared to make that first step. Like who's going to be there? What's it going to feel like? But it really does feel like a safe place at your guys's meeting. But I also remember probably about a year ago, you had just taught the lesson on boundaries. So we have different, we have over 30 different finding hope lessons and you guys had just taught the lesson on boundaries or about to teach it. And you guys, you just want to talk through some of it, like some more research you had done. And so, um, the things you've learned and it sounds like, you know, Nathan kept talking about how his boundaries was more as control and that's not necessarily what boundaries are. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, what have you learned since going to finding hope, what boundaries really are? Okay. So I learned that boundaries are to protect me. 
Say that one more time. Yeah, boundaries are to protect myself, okay. not to control what my addict does. Mm-hmm. Because we all know that we can't control what other people do, but we can control what how we react, how we respond, what we do with it. Um, and then I also learned that there is a difference between setting that boundary and then giving ultimatums. Okay, we tell us um, what have you? What's the difference? Because that's really good out there. Because I feel like sometimes. We get confused. It's that gray line. Like, is this, what is this? Right. So the first thing you have to think is, why am I setting this boundary? Is it for me? Mm. Is it to protect me? Or is it to control what they're going to do? So Um, let's stop so they can hear it. So is it to protect me? mm -hmm. Why? Is it to protect me or to control them? Okay. Right. Um, So mostly like if I say, if you do this, Mm. then I'm going to do this. Mm -hmm. It's not really a boundary. Mm -hmm. That's me trying to control what they do and basically me give them a consequence. Mm -hmm. So like an example would be like if my child went to school and didn't, you know, I paid for their college, Mm -hmm. they are making F's. And I say, well, if you make an F, I'm gonna take away your car. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's not really a boundary, that's a consequence. When really, the natural consequence of them making an F is that they fail. Mm -hmm. So instead, I would say, I'm not going to pay for another semester of school because you didn't do what you needed to. So now you're going to have to figure that out. So my boundary is, you didn't do this. Mm -hmm. I can't help you. You know, that's protecting me and my money, Um, putting the power back in my hands for my time, my, my mood, my actions and feelings, everything that I have. So um, I just have to always stop and think, is this for me? Mm. Or am I just trying to keep them safe, keep her from using, keep, cause you can't keep them from using. Yeah. I mean, you just can't. Um, so that's probably the, the biggest thing that I learned. And I think that when you, like you asked Nathan, back when this first happened with our daughter, how was our marriage? Back then, I think it was, I was so much about, oh, my poor child, I don't want her to suffer and go to jail and poor her, you know, Mm -hmm. I want to save her. And he was trying to set that boundary, but we didn't really know what they were yet. So we were very much, I think, in the ultimatum stage. Mm -hmm. So it's been much easier now to say, okay, I'm not trying to control this person. I'm trying to protect myself. And Nathan, what have you learned about boundaries since being in Finding Hope? Uh, the biggest thing is boundaries have to be realistic, attainable. Um, <clears throat> you can't, for instance, Leslie's example was, you know, we're going to take away your car. Well, if you set that boundary of taking away the car, who does that hurt? What are the consequences from that? And the hurt, what it does, especially if they're living in your house, that means, guess what? You get to take them everywhere. You get to be, you get to give them the right. So they're still going to get what they want. They just don't have that physical um, car to, to do it with. So that actually hurts us. So we have to, and that could be attainable, but for us with working full time, um, it, it puts a burden on our stress on our marriage. So the, the taking away the car may be a consequence of her actions, but they have to be attainable or realistic. They can't be um, so far out there. They can't be a threat. Um, well, and I think we can even go step that might not be realistic for you guys, but it could be for somebody else. And that's what I always tell people. Like, I can't set boundaries for you. Only you can set your own boundaries. I know what I my boundary would be in this situation, but that might not be the same 
for you, right? And that's what it kind of sounds like with the car situation. Like, you know, someone else might be like, well, they could call Uber or, you know, or something like that. But you have to work, figure out what works best for you to protect yourself, like you were saying earlier, Leslie. Yes, and be able to set a boundary that you can keep. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't keep it, we all, you know, then that cycle goes to, well, they're not going to, they're not really going to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so boundaries really have three purposes. We kind of talked about protecting our space. It, it helps keep us safe, protecting our space. And so others can't abuse us. I kind of think of it as like a fence. A lot of us have a fence around our yard and I have it to protect my, I have a little eight pound dog, right? I have to keep, it's to protect her, not to go out. Cause if the fence wasn't there, she would go out in the street and then we wouldn't have a dog probably anymore, you know? So it is, it's to protect her so she can't go out but also to protect things coming into our yard because there's a field and you know who knows what kind of animals out there that could come into our yard to get her and so we have to remember it's like a fence but if a hole gets in that fence right my dog is small enough and she's done this we've had to repair some of our fence is she can sneak out of that little hole and figure the way out and so boundaries are the same like we have to be firm and we have to have them intact is the word I use a lot intact because if not there's that little hole that they're going to figure out how to get out and that hole's just going to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger so we have to have those firm and so they are like different boundaries you know we've non-existent boundaries where we don't have any at all then we have damaged boundaries or inconsistent and I think you were saying that a little bit is you know you have to say what you mean and mean what you say, you know, and Leslie, you're a teacher. What grade do you teach or how old? Pre-K. Pre-K. Okay. (laughs) So I think back, I used to be a teacher as well. And, you know, in the classrooms the same way, or even when I take my son, you know, to the store with me and he sees the candy aisle, whoever's brilliant idea of that to put candy at the checkout aisle for kids to throw fit. I don't know, but we need to talk. Um, but what happens is it's just like that. I that's this is the best way I describe it as you know, you say no, the kid's gonna throw a fit. Cause you have that boundary, right? That firm boundary. And then he's the it's gonna get louder because then he's gonna start drawing attention. You're gonna say no. And now he's trying to push open that boundary just a little bit and you finally give in because you don't wanna cause a scene. That's a damage boundary right there, you know, because then what's gonna happen the next time? He's just going to start out with that fit right away because he knows he can get what he wants. And we have to remember that our loved ones are that same way, that we have to protect ourselves through that, you know, and it might get ugly. It might, you might hear the yelling and the screaming like a five-year-old sometimes at the candy store, but we have to remember it's so important to keep them um, so firm and intact. Through not having boundaries, how is your guys' health? Just out of curiosity. Through not having mm-hmm. boundaries? Oh, man. Stressed and mm-hmm. tired. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I can't think clearly. Just everything kind of revolves around that addict, like mm-hmm. my whole life. Yeah. Um, so other things don't get done. Yeah, other things don't get done. Tired. What about you, Nathan? Yeah, it's, it, I mean, Obviously, when boundaries um, are not working or during the addiction, we're at each other. Me and Leslie are at each other. We don't sleep. Um, we have a hard time talking to each other. And all that, I mean, with just with a sleep 
deprivation it it does play a play a toll on um how uh, how healthy you are uh, when it comes to eating if you're going to eat right or at mm-hmm. the right times or if you're going to take in the right foods um or if you're going to exercise like you need to um it just everything just falls off Absolutely. And so that's another reason why we need to have boundaries, not just, I mean, just in life in general, because it is, you know, people don't realize the impact that it has on our health, mentally, physically, you know, not sleeping, anxious, overeating, not eating. You talked about that. Um, There's been no panic attacks, right? Anxiety, depression, all this stuff. And so we need to figure out like why we need this boundary. And I tell people, when you have that yicky, yucky feeling like something doesn't feel right, like, you know, you, your heart starts to pound or whatever, that's where you know you need a boundary put in place. And to think through, what is that boundary? How can I get myself back? How can I protect myself in this situation so I don't have that feeling? Um, and so that's the first step. It's like, okay, I need this. I'm going to think through, okay, what do I need to protect myself, right? You've, I think we've been really talking about that a lot today. And so, you know, and then you have to think, you know, Leslie used the word consequence, but you have to think what happens if that boundary does get put, pushed, right? And, you know, one of my boundaries with my husband is if he drinks and comes home, he is not allowed to stay at home, you know? And that's just my boundary. That might look different for somebody else, but that's not safe for me. It's not safe for our kids. And if it's not safe for him to drive, then I will leave, you know? And so you still have to think through what happens if that boundary starts to get crossed because they're going to push it just like a kid at, you know, at the store or like our little ones at school, they push us to see how far we'll go. Um, and so you have to think through that. So my, one of my favorite sayings is, you must mean what you say and say what you mean. And so just thinking through that, if you're going to say it, you have to mean it. I think Nathan talked about that a little bit is, okay, I'm going to lock the door at 10 o'clock, 10 five, knock, knock, knock. Well, are you going to let them in or not? I mean, right. that's, that's hard because you're still awake. You're hearing the knock just five minutes later. Like, what are you going to do? Well, what was your boundary? You have to think back to protect yourself because you could be in bed, right? So, um, what other things have you guys learned through finding hope, whether it's about boundaries or not, that you think is important to our listeners today? Uh, through, with some of the lessons, uh, there's, there's boundaries, there's enabling was a big one. Um, figuring out, um, how we were enabling and not really knowing it and then how not to enable, um, our, our addict. Um, and, it's, and, and leading the class has been really nice because it keeps us in tune um, to our our uh, our journey mm-hmm. and what to do and what not to do. Um, and then we can also share our story with others or they share their story with us and we can kind of give them some advice on what we did. And it could help them um, even even though some some of the discussions are really hard to talk about. And there are some people that are a little not as far in their journey as we are, and they don't want to hear the hard truth, um, but we are able to tell the hard truth. And the more we talk about it, um, for instance, doing this podcast is healthy for me and Leslie um, and our relationship and not only our relationship, but our family. Um, Our daughter knows we're here. Um, She thinks it's a good idea. Um, She knows we're leading the class. Um, She's been to the class. She's to finding hope. 
Um, she, we've introduced her to all everybody. We talk freely about her. She knows that. And that's only going to help all of us grow um, when we can all tell our story and be confident to say, this is where we messed up and this is how we got fixed and this is our journey now. Well, I love that. That's breaking the stigma. You know, yeah. that's part of this podcast too. It's like, we've got to break the stigma. Yep. You know, every all, the podcast starts out every time, like 165 million Americans are abusing it, some type of substance. And so we've got to break this stigma somehow. And I love that you guys are doing this as a family. And, you know, it's a family disease. Everyone's impacted and everyone needs in recovery. And I love that, Nathan. I love seeing men at the meetings and just how important that is and just seeing them lead the class even, right? And so um, so what would you say, Leslie? It's going to sound terrible when I say I think it's comforting to go to class, but no, it's sometimes not. it's comforting to, you know, you hate that other people are going through the same thing that mm-hmm. you're going through. But I know a lot of times when you're, somebody is an addict, you feel like, what did I do? What could I have done different? And I think you realize that it's, it's not you, like nothing I could have done, you know, because a lot of times I say, if I wasn't an addict when she was eight, would this be the position mm-hmm. we were in? But I don't think, you know, it's, it's, it's not nothing I did, mm-hmm. nothing I could change. And I think that's comforting to, to hear other people and know that we're just one of so many. Yeah. Um, and, Although our story for the moment mm-hmm. is positive, we also know that tomorrow is a very new day yeah. um, and that this is going to be a lifelong battle that we're going to well, be in. And it's, I learned something. I mean, I've been attending meetings for over seven years and I'm still learning, like sitting here with you guys, I'm learning stuff. You know, I think it's so important that we come together as a community and to listen and learn from one another. And that is huge. And we all are on different journeys and we talk about it on this podcast a lot. Like our recovery is just one step at a time. And maybe that first step you need to take today is setting that boundary. Like we've been talking about. And so I'm just going to, your, it's your choice of what, you know, your boundaries are. But, um, I know some of our listeners are like, well, I don't even know where to start. So I just wrote down some boundaries. And if you guys have any that you have heard of, not necessarily your boundaries, but maybe throughout your class, because again, my boundary might look different than yours or the person across the table. Maybe someone's like, you, we've already kind of talked about it. You set a boundary of what time they have to be home, what time the door's locked, and that's it. Um, and then, or maybe you're going to say drugs or alcohol are not allowed at my house. If you have them, you will be, you will have to leave. It's not safe. If you get arrested, you guys talked about this. I'm not going to bail you out of jail. And I know that's hard, but you know, this is a consequence and that's to protect. I love what you said. I don't know if it was about this, but protect your money, right? Like protect yourself. You guys, you know, retirement, we want to be able to travel and do all this great stuff when we retire. But if we're just constantly pouring out that money, you're not going to have anything left to do during retirement. Um, you know, I talked about the relapse. My husband's not allowed at home if he relapsed. It's, I turn my phone on do not disturb. And I think everyone needs that permission. We didn't used to live by our cell phones being everyone be able to call us 24 seven. Right. And so there's a nice feature on cell phones now that you can put on do not disturb. And it's amazing little tool. And you know, it's nice not to hear that ding at 10 15. Well, uh, and I'll say the night she was arrested, I had been praying that she would be arrested because I didn't know what else to, Mm -hmm. to pray for. 
But I did put my phone on Do Not Disturb because I knew if she called me, I could not say no. Wow. And I knew that he could. Yeah. And so I did turn my phone so on. That so that just gave me chills. So that was a very firm boundary knowing like, okay, I know I'm, um, can I say the word weak? Like I'm, yes. my heartstrings are going to get oh, pulled yeah. for her if she gets arrested. Absolutely. So I'm going to turn my, the hardest, I can't even imagine. Were you checking your phone all night? No. And what? she called a lot. Really? No. And that shows something to her too, right? Like my sleep and my time is valuable. I can't stop everything I'm doing to rescue you. Right. So yeah, do not disturb. Put your phone on. Do not disturb. People don't need you at 1030 PM. I mean, there's a little feature called 911 that we all learned in elementary school, right? right? Like that's what I always tell people. It's okay to turn your phone off. People know how to call 911. Um, and there's a reason she called, she would call her first. Oh. Because, yeah. Because she, she knew, she knew how to, uh, take advantage of Leslie um, with her emotions and she knew that I wasn't going to stand for it. So that's why she would do everything she could do to talk to mom first because the hard conversation was with me and, and I had, I had strict firm boundaries and she knew better. Playing, playing that card and why it's so important that mom and dad are in this recovery together. Once again, that's amazing. That's wow. Um, I also think people need to, give themselves permission not to answer the phone the first call, even whether it's our addict or not. And also don't feel like you have to respond right away to text messages. And you said it earlier, Leslie, like you've learned how to respond versus react. And sometimes we get that, it it freaks us out. And so we want to just react right away. I even tell people it's okay to delete text messages. If it's not a nice one, give yourself that protection. So you're not constant, you might not respond to it, but if you still see it on your phone, you're going to, it's just going to make you more angry. So delete it. So you can't even see it. So give yourself that boundary. Also, I tell people all the time, like if they're yelling at you or someone's not being nice, verbally abusive, it's okay to walk away and have that boundary. And sometimes you have to practice that. I tell people practice in a mirror before you get to that situation, because if you're practicing or talking to another finding hope member before you're more well prepared, you might not ever need that conversation, but if you have it prepared and you've practiced it, it's, it's easier to do. And so, um, I found this quote from the book beyond codependency. And it says, There isn't a guidebook for setting boundaries. Each of us has our own guide inside ourselves. If we continue to work at recovery, our boundaries will develop. They will get healthy and sensitive. Ourselves will tell us what we need to know and we'll love ourselves enough to listen. So let me read that last line again. Ourselves will tell us what we need to know. So listen to that gut, listen to that feeling inside. And we'll love ourselves enough to listen. We've got to love ourselves enough to listen. And finding hope also, like, that's the one thing it taught me that I'll remember is the healthier that we are, the better chance that our addict will recover. Yeah, absolutely. And they might kick and scream for a while because they don't like it. And it might be hard for us because we're comfortable, even though it hasn't been comfortable. We're used to that. So absolutely, you are... 100% correct. And so I like to leave each um, podcast with a challenge. And so I would like, I would challenge you this week to reflect on your boundaries. Maybe you don't even have boundaries. So think about them. Do you have boundaries? Are they, are they intact boundaries or do they have holes? And think about what, 
what is working well with these boundaries? Maybe you might have a little hole. Well, how can we adjust that boundary and where can you improve? And then put that boundary in place. And when you feel confident with that, that's when we can start to add another boundary going up that second step. When you have that confidence, step up. And if you need support through it, get plugged into a support group like Finding Hope and with others who understand what's going on. I say it all the time. You don't get it unless you live it. And so my best friend setting boundaries about my husband, she wouldn't get it because she hasn't lived it like I have. But members of Finding Hope would get that. So thank you so much for joining us this week. And thank you, Leslie and Nathan, for being here as well. You can learn more about Finding Hope at findinghope.today. But before you go, I would love for you to give us a five-star review, share this on social media, and subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss our next hope-filled episode. Thanks again for joining me, Amy LaRue, and our special guest, Leslie and Nathan, in this episode of Finding Hope. And remember, you are not alone. It's not your fault. And there is hope. This episode of the Finding Hope podcast was brought to you by Hope is Alive Ministries. To learn more about Hope is Alive, visit our website at hopeisalive.net. If you are in need of immediate assistance, don't wait. Call us now at 1-844-3-HOPE-NOW. That's 1-844-3-HOPE-NOW. To find out more about Finding Hope and how you can get involved in a meeting close to you, visit findinghope.today.